Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. Rather than making recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please also consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Our topic today is, should I become an angel investor? And uh, you know, those of you who've listened to the program for a while know my background, know that I'm, I'm connected with the startup world in some way I've, I've been for really my entire career. Um, and and, and you know, the angel investing topic, I think, is of particular interest because um, you know, as a person that's, that's traveled a lot, has lived abroad, you know, one thing that I think separates our society apart is this notion of entrepreneur as folk hero. Um, and, and even if you, if, if you kind of translate entrepreneur in, in, in other languages, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not fluent in 180 of them, um, but, but you can, you can, the way the words are even constructed is there's a, a almost a, a certain amount of, of, suspicion or confusion about somebody that that's an entrepreneur right it's 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 an undertaking and even the word under has a a somewhat negative connotation but the united states is a little bit different and i'm not trying to go off fox news channel here but the, the <laughs> united states is different in the fact that that we elevate entrepreneurs to, uh, to a folk hero status and one of the things that makes that go is a community of angel investors. And and the word angel, I think, is very apt, uh, except for the people that perhaps get turned down for funding by them. But 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 an angel investor is is somebody that is willing to put money where pretty much everywhere everyone else's uh, fears to tread, so to speak. And uh, they they bridge that gap between friends, family, and fools. Some some will tell you themselves maybe they fall into the fools category. Sometimes they are friends and family. But they bridge that gap from uh, from money that is not entirely that is not financially motivated, but it's just really goodwill based capital that just wants to see you succeed on a personal level. And you know the wise guys, the the, the institutional investors, the Series A venture capitalists, and so forth. That you know, let's face it, at the end of the day, they are in, in it for the money. If they're not in it for the money, they aren't in it very long. Um, and, and angel investors kind of fill. That 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 very important gap, and uh, you're probably more familiar with them by looking at at watching Shark Tech, a show I've never actually seen, by the way, but I know how it works. And, and Mark Cuban and, the, and those folks position themselves as angel investors of a fashion, and I suppose that's fair. But you know, the vast majority of of angel investors are, frankly, very anonymous. Very few of them have websites, they're not active all that much on social media. Let's start out in California, <laughs> but most of them really are. Are you you probably you probably have sat next to an angel investor at a Starbucks and never knew it. You've probably been behind one in line at the grocery store. You've probably been sitting next to one in a restaurant 
where uh, a half a million dollar deal is being talked about, you probably never knew about it. And especially if you're in Atlanta, where we, we very much have a, um, a, a low key sort of non PR mentality for the most part. And, and so if you don't know that space, if you haven't sort of invested a lot of time as I have to, to kind of burrow in, you may not know a lot about it. So I'm very excited about this particular program because I think it's going to be an opportunity to shine a lot of light about what it means to be an angel investor. I think the world always can use more angel investors. And if, if you're a high net worth individual and you're thinking about it, it's probably very daunting because, you know, where do you start? It's, it's high risk. Are, are you just going to be a moron and lose all of your money and you're going to feel like you, you never should have gotten into it in the first place? Um, or, you know, is there a method to the madness where somebody can be successful? And, uh, you know, I'm not qualified to tell you that, but I have somebody across the table from me who is. Um, and it is my absolute pleasure to introduce my friend and our guest, Steve Walden, today of Walden Associates, a seed stage investment and entrepreneurial advisory firm. Steve is a longtime 15-plus-year angel investor. And prior to that, he was a corporate executive in New York with Time Warner Gray Advertising, and a little technology company called IBM. At IBM, he's executive director of a new division they called Prodigy, which foreshadowed the interactive tools that we now use. He was brought to Atlanta by Bell South, now AT&T, as vice president where he helped launch BellSouth.net, their interactive vision, and other businesses. At about the same time, he had a small interest in a startup company called NetSurfer. The company was failing, and with the overstated confidence of a New Yorker, he stepped in as CEO. And by the way, this just in, he actually disclosed, he's actually a native Bostonian, but we'll <laughs> let him define himself however he wants. Fortunately, the company had a decent exit, and Steve became hooked on the startup world. That's, that is sort of the way it, it works. Since then, he has been the chief executive officer or chief financial officer, or maybe both, of three other companies before turning angel investor, where he has supported many uh, startups. Steve started as a journalist after training at Columbia and the University of Pennsylvania, and practiced that early in his career. And we'll talk a little bit about how that led to him becoming an angel investor and him succeeding, i.e. surviving for a long time as an angel investor. I think that's a good definition of success. Um, Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, <clears throat> with, with most of my programs, I like to start with establishing a common vocabulary because we can very quickly get into all kinds of jargon that's almost a separate language and mm -hmm. we can lose people very quickly. So we try not to do that. The first question I want to kind of put out there is most people have heard of venture capitalists. Not as many people have heard of angel investors. And I think those who have think that they're the same thing. But there's a little bit of a difference between the two, isn't there? There's a huge difference between VCs and, and uh, uh, angel investors. Uh, for one thing, the and probably the, the most fundamental difference is the way they're structured. VCs are uh, limited partnerships that are financially, purely financially motivated. They uh, uh, have usually limited partners who in, who provide the money for the for the for the group so that the people who actually do the investing may not be the same as the ones who provided the money for it and that means the people who are doing the investing have a responsibility to third parties to produce results and anything that uh uh is going to denigrate that uh, ability is something they are not interested in and, and and so in effect, I mean, a venture capital, a venture capitalist is a fund manager, 
right? Ultimately, it's, not that much different from a hedge fund or even an index fund. Manager, exactly. Right? He has limited partners who are his bosses. Now, one of the things that, that strikes me about venture capital, and this is something I've studied a lot in, in the last two years, is you know, because of the nature of, of venture capital, right? venture capital funds typically have an expiration date. Right? right, they've got to return capital up to ten years, and often more quickly yeah. than when that money was actually put in, and that can kind of limit the kinds of deals that venture capitalists can do and how they manage it, at least at least drive how they manage mm-hmm. it. Right? Yeah, exactly. They're they're uh, under a tremendous amount of pressure, not just within that time frame, but because they know they're going to be doing a second fund at some point, usually before the first one is completely over. And if they have lack luster results, it's going to be very hard for them to stay in business. Yeah, it's 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 hard to go out to the market saying we've been we've been substandard or mediocre the first <laughs> yeah, time. But give us more money. But now. give us more money, right? <laughs> right. Um, especially when there's no shortage of, of of folks that are looking for money. But we'll come back a little to that, a little bit to that. Um, so you have a background as a journalist. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I found out, actually in, in radio to some extent, which is why I had this natural sort of smooth jazz radio voice. Um, how does that help you being be an angel investor? Or are there even parallels between journalism and the practice of angel investing? Well, there are certainly behavioral uh, similarities. Uh, I've learned to listen hard, to ask a lot of questions, and to be pretty skeptical about the results, whatever they may be, of the questions. And so when I go into, quote, interview, unquote, a uh, an entrepreneur, I pretty much know what I want to ask him or her. And I know the kind of answer that I will accept and and uh, uh, will be prepared to bore in pretty hard with a second question if I don't get the kind of answer that's successful. So that that follow up question, right? And and do you find that list of questions is pretty much has pretty much become standard over the years? Well, it, it's it's yeah. I, I I think as I get older and lazier, <laughs> I don't try to rethink the whole thing every time. Um, so there are certain answers I'm looking to re- to obtain, and if I don't get them, I'll either cut the interview short or mentally t- cut it short. Okay, <laughs> right, one way or the other. Yeah. You can check out physically or mentally, but yeah, right. at some point, this is over. We're done. We're done here. Um, so c- can you be an angel investor part-time and be successful? Right, You've gotten to a point, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's fair to, to characterize you as a full-time professional angel investor. Um, can you do that successfully part-time? Can you do it as a hobby or do you have to just decide this is going to be your job? Well, it depends upon uh, success or how you define success. There are a lot of angel investment groups to which you can be a a member and let others take the heavy lifting for due diligence and some of the other things that have to happen. Uh, or you can decide to stay and do it all yourself. And that latter function is a lot more difficult and requires a lot more time. Um. So I want to come back. I want to come back to that because I know you've been very active in angel groups around town. So I, I think that's I think that's an important resource. Um, where do, where do investment com- you know, opportunities come from? As I mentioned in, in the introduction, 
you guys as a group, except for the California folks, are pretty low key, right? You don't have a you don't have a storefront. Most of you don't really even have a website, right? Um, and I think that's by design. But you can tell me if I'm wrong. So, where, how do people know how to find you? There's no Walden Associates in the yellow pages or anything. So, how how do these deals find you? It's it's all through uh, networking. And it's the converse of the question you ask is how do I find companies? And, and you don't just walk down the street and, and actually, I was going to say have people hand you cards, but these days you do find people who do that. But by and large, what you do is you, 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 you become embedded in the community and people know you and, and, uh, you will hear about good companies. And if you're not too late, you will get in and, and try to get a piece of them. Now, that, that's an important point. I want to follow up on that because uh, I, I think even though we're not really directing this at fundraisers, I got to take the opportunity. If if you're looking if you're looking for funding, or even if you want to be a successful angel investor, I think there's a temptation to say, "Well, I've got this pile of money that I'm sitting on, right? Of course, people are going to come looking for it, right?" Um, and to a certain extent, that may be true, but but if it's not the right people, then it's not a pre- very productive use of your time, right? right. On, on both sides. Right. There are some um, angel investors and VCs who actually provide value to a business. Mm-hmm. And and uh, uh, if you get in with them, they can find you the next level of funding. They will have marketing uh, contacts. They will also uh, uh, help you with an exit. And, and similarly, uh, uh, if you stay active in the community, you'll get referrals from companies that are looking for money and how worth putting money into. And so in, the, in that search, and, and, and one of the keys then to being an, an angel investor, I think one bullet point here is you have to be willing to ping actively. It's, like, it's really like selling anything else. Yeah. And, but, you know, unless you're in finance – Understanding the notion that you have to sell money is is odd, but in many ways, selling money is one of the most competitive things it is. out there. It is, and it's ex- it's becoming more difficult right now because the uh, the nature of the economy is such that there are a lot of quote angel investors unquote who are throwing money around, and that has raised valuation. So that finding a company that is worth investing in at a decent valuation has become exceedingly difficult. Oh, good. So I'm, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I'm going to go off the script a little bit because uh, I think from the outside, you look at angel investing and the end game is to have the next Facebook, right? Or to have the next Uber or to have the next, you know, whatever big exit that there's going to be. Obviously, those are exceptions to the rule, right? Um, but investing just for growth and growth alone, that's probably not a winning strategy. There's got to be a value in there, right? Well, there are a lot of motivations for wanting to be in this. And, and certainly you want your investment part to be uh, to return more than you put into it. But there are a lot of other motivations as well. And, and most angel investors like to work with startup companies. Uh, many have been uh, entrepreneurs themselves. And, uh, I, and, and I'm, this is sort of heresy. I'm, I'm less eager 
to or less expectant of showing huge profits than wanting to break even and help some entrepreneurs along the way. But then I'm at a particular stage in my career, which is unusual for some of them and certainly unusual for a VC. Right. And I think, I think you've earned the luxury of having that choice because of the success you've had earlier. I think if you start out as an angel investor, unless you're sitting on a very large pile of cash, you probably do need to have some financial success. Yeah. So you can evolve into a non-financial mm-hmm. goal set. Is that fair? That's absolutely true. So, and, and getting back to value, value is, value is important. Not so much that I, I, in my view, not because, you know, you might get ripped off or overpay, but the higher the entry value, the, the higher the burden it is for the company to generate this return right. on the investment, right? right? The exit just, and so for every dollar of higher entry valuation, the exit's got to be $10 higher, right? To generate that kind of return. And that's why value, I think, for angels is so important. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. multiplier effect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although I, I will also say that the, if, if, if there's going to be a decent exit, I'm certainly willing to give a little bit of the high end away, uh, but not for companies that are pre-profit and are still asking for $20 million valuation. Okay. And uh, hope, I think we'll, we'll come back to that. But I want to – going back to the kind of the, the opportunity search, and you talk about it comes through your networks and that you're involved in angel groups. So how many deals do you think you see in a particular – call it a month – well, it depending depends on what you see, what okay. you mean by see. Okay. I, I'm aware of maybe thirty per month. Okay. And of that thirty, I will actively want to quote see, unquote, uh maybe six or ten. And and the other two thirds I just really don't want to get deep into. And and C, I'm guessing, is you'd like to see maybe an executive summary, perhaps meet the management team, you know, for a brief presentation, something like that. Yeah, right? exactly. And so, of that population in a given year, you know, how, how many how many commitments, investment commitments, do you think you'd make? That is uh, a very difficult answer to, for me to give you because it it varies a lot. Okay. And, and right now, uh, please forgive me entrepreneurs, but the quality of deals that I'm seeing and what they're expecting is, uh, less amenable to want to invest in. Uh, what we need is a, forgive this also, is a good recession to bring down the valuations of, of some of the government. I know, Mike, you, you do valuation as well. And, and, uh, the pre-revenue company that's asking for, $20 million as a valuation is just not going to get invested no matter how good they are. At least not in our market. I was just going to say not, 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 not on the East coast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could have a, a whole different podcast of East versus West. You and I have had that conversation, but I want to, we need to focus on, on this particular topic, but it, it's fair to say that if you're looking at 300, if you are aware of 300 plus deals a year, mm-hmm. and maybe you look carefully at a hundred, right? A realistic, a realistic number of commitments in a given year can't be more than two or three, right? Correct. Right. And it's, it's not just financial capacity, but you know, I know you as, as a person, you're not really a, here's a check. I'll come see you in five years kind of guy, right? 
That, that, that's correct. So how, how involved do you get once you kind of write that check? And I know that there's a spectrum, but we have you in front of the microphone. So for you personally, Steve Walden, right, what kind of, of involvement do you have with the company after you write that check? It depends on a lot of factors. Okay. Uh, you know, ideally, I'd like to be on the board uh, or at least on the advisory board, and I'd like to be in their uh, key meetings, and I'd like to be able to help with some advice, particularly in marketing. Uh, uh but I, as larger sources of funds share this market with us, I will happily take a side seat and, and let the larger funds become involved in that. Okay. The, for instance, the, one of the companies that I recently exited from was called Predicto. And one of the reasons I liked Predicto initially, not only did it have a great CEO, but it had a, uh, a VC that came in right after us. And, and, uh, the VCs took over the board seats and took over the, uh, ability to make, um, some of the larger decisions. And I was perfectly happy being in the lee of the VC and, and, uh, seeing this become a successful exit. Now, it's interesting you say that because I, I think the mindset about that has evolved over the last 10 years. Mm. I think 10 years ago, angel investors were much more wary about, VC involvement. Um, I, I think they're aware that they would just sort of, of, of take over and try to be private equity as opposed to VC. Yeah. I think they were worried about frankly being, being crammed down, which, which that's a term that just means that you either continue investing or become diluted. Um, uh, and, but it, it sounds like I think I sense in the community, not just from you, but others, that thinking has evolved now that, Angels are more open to partnerships with VCs and see some value there. Well, uh, certainly in the Southeast, we, we're a kind of a um, friendly club and nobody wants to be the skunk at that party. And, and so I know many of the VCs and, and many of them know me and uh, none of us wants to do anything that will uh, hurt the other and, and, uh, jeopardize future deals. So uh, on the other hand, I would be very wary about uh, somebody coming in from the West Coast and saying, I have lots of money and, and uh, let me get involved in this company. And, and why is that? Uh, well, they would, uh, uh, they would cram me down. They would do all sorts of financial stuff. And some of it is, is, I hate to use the word unethical, but not by our standards, ethical. They, they like to throw elbows. How about that? They definitely will throw some elbows. Yeah, and, and they don't have to live with me after that, whereas the local VCs do. Interesting. Uh, and and you know, also, I think, because the, the California folks have more money to begin with, right, it is much more likely they'll come in and say, you know, we will put $20 million in this, and you, Steve, have put in, throwing out a number, a quarter of a million dollars, right? What are you going to do, right? All of a sudden, you're, you're, you're not that different from holding shares of Apple at that point. You're such a minority right. investor, right? So, exactly. so who needs it? Right. So let's say I'm, you know, I'm thinking about becoming an angel investor and presumably I've done well financially. I don't think this is something that you should do if you're not financially well off. And there are even some regulations that if they don't make it outright illegal, they strongly discourage it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
me think of how I can ask this question without being overly intrusive. Among your peers, <laughs> yeah, among your peers, what do you think the net worth level kind of gets to before they realistically start thinking about themselves becoming active angel investors? Well, there are some um, regulations that you have to sign that you have a net worth over. And I'm trying to think. They recently changed. Yes. Uh, is, it, is it $2 million? No. No. Well, th- there, are, there are two limits. One is net worth and the other is income. income. And it has to be either or. But I think if what, – what it comes down to is uh, what else you're doing. To me, my angel investing is almost a hobby and I have given – more of my money to uh, more conventional investments. And I've, I've told others, including those who are uh, using the, who are advising me on the other investments, that this is my sandbox. I intend to put money into uh, non-conventional companies. And I expect that much of that is going to be lost. Uh, although, one or two big hits will completely erase those losses. And, and, uh, so I, I guess what I'm saying is the long answer to your question is you shouldn't invest more than you can afford to lose. So in that respect, really not that different from Vegas rules. I like to think it's a little bit better, but probably not. Well, maybe not. I think that it is better, but at the end of the day, I think that if you, if you, Personally, I think it is equally unwise to invest your mortgage in an angel investment as it is to invest in a crap table. <laughs> I would, I would agree. <laughs> okay. That, that's what I mean by Vegas rule. Yeah. So while, while you were, uh, answering that question, I quickly looked it up. So the, the rule 501 by the SEC says that to be an accredited investor, an individual has to have a $200,000 annual income or a household of $300,000 and Sorry, or an individual or individual joint net worth of a million dollars excluding your primary residence. Yeah. So it's actually less than I thought. Yeah, it is less than I thought too. But what you said is it's an or so that you really, if you have a little money tucked away and you're not making a huge income right now or vice versa, you can still be an investor. And this, the, I think the key is to realize not to put your last nickel into it because it is a risky investment. Uh, and if you invest the way I do, which is uh, companies you know, companies you've done your own due diligence on, you have a little bit better return than the average investor. Uh, but it's not good enough that I would uh, risk my future or my family's future on that. But it sure is a lot more fun. It's it's partly investment and and partly entertainment. So talk a little bit about that. What do you find entertaining or stimulating about it? The fact that uh, I meet a ton of interesting entrepreneurs, uh, some of which have become friends. Uh, and even if I don't invest, I've learned from them. And hopefully uh, the advice – that I provide is as valuable as the, as the money I can provide. And, and, uh, uh, hopefully mutually we can, you know, I can learn from them and they can learn from me. And, and I get a tremendous amount of pleasure. 
and knowing I've I've helped some some good entrepreneur with some great ideas. So, um, moving a little bit, uh, shifting topics or gears a little bit to to bandwidth. Um, you know, angel investing is is uh, is a time consuming exercise. Uh, but also, we we both know that portfolio theory suggests that if you can build a portfolio of any investment, mm-hmm. right, you have a chance to generate a higher risk adjusted return. Is building a portfolio of angel investments a realistic exercise or a realistic goal? There are lots of ways you can invest. You can invest in part of a, an investment group. Uh, there are several good ones in town. Uh, one that's becoming better again. Um, you can do it as there are even some funds that do this. So that I think that having a portfolio is a good thing to do from a risk, uh, uh, protection perspective, but you don't have to go out and do your own due diligence to every company you're looking at. And that cuts down on transaction costs too, right? Because exactly. That that in itself can be very expensive. It is it is it is not hard to rack up thirty thousand dollars of legal accounting expertise fees, right? Yeah, exactly. And and most investment groups have a, a lawyer that they have, if not on staff, which is probably the wrong word, with whom they do business regularly, right? Who who uh, uh, adjusts what he charges for either out of friendship or because he has other goals. Yeah. Okay. So do you remember the first angel deal you ever did? Probably the first one I ever did was a company I ended up working for or running. It was That's uh, an interesting way to get a job. Yeah. Well, actually, believe it or not, there are some angels who act, who invest with the goal of becoming the CFO or, or taking some role within the company and for salary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no such goal. Uh, I was at the time working for Bell South, kind of fat and happy on a corporate uh, income. And there was a company that I had come to that I put a little bit of money into because I kind of liked them and I liked what they were doing and I liked the then CEO. And and uh, I put money into the company just on the side and the company was reaching the point of no return, diminishment to no to non-existence. And so I, I actually left my day job to take over as CEO. Boy, talk about doubling down. I know. You really believed in that company. I did. I did. And, and fortunately, it was a semi-good uh, choice. The company never returned huge amounts. It was never a, a 20x return. But I did get all my money back and had the entertainment, if I can use that word, of, of being involved in it. And, uh, it was such a good experience to do that that I said, gosh, I'm never going to go back to the corporate world again. In fact, this sure beats working. <laughs> Is that the first company you ever ran as sort of the head honcho? Yes, it was. And there I was, fresh from New York. Uh, I'd never run a company as as uh, the CEO before, and so there I was taking double risks. But I had, you know, gone to business school in addition to some other things, and figured I could make some decent decisions. And 
whether I had made decent decisions or not, I was at least lucky, which is probably the most important part of it. <laughs> well, you know, luck is not a business plan, but if, if it happens, we'll, we'll take it. We'll right? take it every time. So um, is it fair to say that not every investment you've made has had a happy conclusion? That That's correct. They, they you know, the all of the papers and books say that probably a one in eight uh, is is doing okay. Uh, I've got a little bit better uh, track record than that, and, and uh, I will be the first to say a lot of that is luck. But I think I also take more care for about what I invest in. And um, I've got a bunch of rules that I follow, uh, and every time I've broken them, by the way, I've, I've ended up losing money. <laughs> that'll learn you. Yeah, that'll learn me, right. <laughs> well, so uh, uh, I'm curious. One thing I, I've observed about angel investors and what I, what I advise people that are, are thinking about getting into that is investing in businesses that you really understand well on the way in. Mm-hmm. You know? A frequent complaint about Atlanta is is why don't we have kind of the e-commerce California kind of startups? And the reason why is because nobody here has come out of that world, right? That that's correct. And we also don't have many consumer companies that that get funding here. Yep, a uh, whole lot of limitations in in a bunch of categories. Yep. But the things we do do well here in Atlanta: information security, payments processing. If you have a good uh, enterprise software, if you have a good deal, you can get it funded. You absolutely can. And, and I've, I've had entrepreneurs complain to me about nobody has any money here in Atlanta. And my answer to them is much like the one you said. If you have a good deal, right. it'll get funded. Even if it's not in the category that's normally popular in Atlanta, you will get it funded if you can prove that or demonstrate that it's a good investment. So – Atlanta has money, just maybe not money for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't know how to say it, but it's not me, it's you. <laughs> so when when a deal goes bad, what's that like as an angel investor? How do you react? How do you how do you then have the confidence to not sort of take all your money off the table and hide and go back into investing in index funds, real estate, gold, whatever? The, the, uh, you actually asked several questions. Uh, probably the most important is how you react to it. If you look at it as a, as a business and you expect to get, you know, five absolute flops for everyone that comes in well, then, you, you know, every time you file, fail, you can say, well, that's one less I have to do before I get to my five. Next one up. Right. Uh, there are, you know, degrees of failure. Uh, a one-to-one payback is sort of a failure, but a lot of people wouldn't consider it that. Uh, uh, so the object is to get the ratios working for you, get six or eight companies invested in, and hope that with your advice and your very wise selections, you'll you'll get money back and then some. Um, and you know, kind of what what I'm what I'm getting to is we're both aware of the stories of of novice investors that 
invest, maybe they, they've invested a relatively modest amount, call it 25,000, 50,000, right? And, and entrepreneurs will tell you that they're often the highest maintenance, right? If they're novice investors, maybe not, maybe it's not fair to, to, to categorize that by the amount, but certainly if they're novice investors, right? They'll, they'll be trying to, to reach the CEO every week, two or three times every week. What's happening with my money? <laughs> you know, which is, is distracting. Right. Obviously. And, you know, if you have that kind of mindset, it probably means you're really not ready to take that kind of risk. Is that, is that a fair ca- characterization? Probably. Yeah. Uh, on, on the flip of that, however, is if you're able to offer good advice and, you call the entrepreneur on a daily basis and offer good advice each time because you've been there, done that, then the entrepreneur should take your call happily. And, and I know with you, one of the things that you prize very, very highly is coachability, mm-hmm. right? Somebody who's willing to listen doesn't think they have all the answers. Um, you know, as when, when we're looking for money and we, we want to, present ourselves a certain way we want to present ourselves as having all the answers when we pitch but in in fact that that can actually be a be a counterproductive posture in the angel world can't it absolutely and in fact uh i have a friend and colleague who was uh uh, about to invest in a company and he asked me to interview the ceo and after 15 minutes with the ceo I said, what attracted you to him was that he seems to have all the answers. That to me is a disincentive to invest in him. Hmm. And, and, uh, the guy walked away from the investment. At least I hope he, I haven't heard the final results yet, but I hope he has. I'm, I'm sure he took your advice. Um, we could be here a much longer time, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, just a couple last questions on the way out. One is, you know, if somebody now has listened to this, we haven't scared them off and I hope we've scared off a lot of people. Sure. I think that's healthy, but there'll be a few that say, oh yeah, I'm in. Where can they go to learn more about this? Charlie Paparelli, who is a, um, long-term angel investor and who talks to other angel investors too says the best way to learn how to be an angel investor is to write a check. <laughs> and, <laughs> that sounds like Charlie. Yeah, it does sound like Charlie. And and there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of books that you can read about uh, success rates and things to look for. But at the end of the day, jump into the fray. Do it with a small amount of money. Uh, you can do it for five or $10,000. And learn every day from what the company is doing and what your fellow investors are doing. Hopefully you can join a group that does a lot of investing and can coach you a little bit on not only the investment, but what, how to act as the, uh, as a share owner in a company. And, and, uh, as you get better at it, you'll probably do much better with your second and third and fourth investment. And and uh, just as a sneak preview to our listeners, Charlie Paparelli is actually recording a podcast with us next month. So he'll be on, uh, and the topic will be, should I raise angel capital? And that'll be uh, published sometime in August, early September. Good. So uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of Charlie's, and I, and I love his blog, too. I, he's yeah. one of the few few that come in, I make sure that I do not miss it. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, if people want to learn more about angel investing, can they contact you? Would you be willing to take a call or receive an email? Sure. I'd be happy to. I'm, I'm probably a lot more reachable by email okay. than by phone calls. And okay. You can. So what's your email address? It's, uh, for this, it would be swalden at thewaldenassociates.com. Okay. So that will do it. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Steve Walden so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.